0: Welcome into the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. It's Jay Zawoski. James Navo is overwhelmed with work, so I'm going to tackle this post game podcast by myself. Thanks for tuning in to the Madhouse Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at MadhousePod, Instagram Madhouse underscore Pod. We're on Facebook. We actually changed our URL. It's Madhouse Hockey Pod instead of Madhouse Hockey Chi, which makes a lot more sense. It only took me mm, like seven years to figure that out. So. Go check us out on Facebook. We've got our T Public Shop. There's a sale going on now through November 6th, so you're going to want to check that out. Going to talk about the Blackhawks 4-3 loss to the Carolina Hurricanes, and then uh, there is some always developing news as it pertains to the Brad Aldrich situation, so we'll get to that in the second half of the show. Going to be a a bit of a short one as I'm solo on this one, but going to wrap up the game and then just tie up some loose ends at the end here. So again, thanks for joining us. 4-3, 4-3, the Hawks lose to the Hurricanes. The Hurricanes improve to 9-0 and on the season, which is impressive as hell. Uh, one of the best teams in hockey, a definite Stanley Cup contender, and all those plaudits for the uh, Hurricanes are deserved. And the Hawks had a 3-1 lead on them and just could not hold on. And you felt the game turn when in the second period, Jarvis got a breakaway after a bad decision by Eric Gustafson at at the uh, Hurricanes blue line. All of a sudden, Jarvis heads the other way in a breakaway. Actually mishandles the puck, and it just rolls between Flurry's legs because Flurry was reacting to where Jarvis's stick was going, but the puck was left behind. That made it three two. Then quickly into the third, Jesper Foss scores seventeen seconds in. And then uh, two minutes later, just uh, three minutes later, rather, Nika scores and the Hawks just have to play catch up the rest of the game. And they came close. They had uh, had eight minutes of power play time in the third period, two two minute minors, and then almost to end the game there, Ethan Bear took a four minute high sticking penalty on Dominic Kubelik. And the chances were there the opportunities to tie the game were there. There were so many close little plays. Just a couple I remember. Seth Jones uh, retrieved the puck down in the uh, defensive zone, shot it through two zones to Patrick Kane on the boards. Kane got in, took a shot, and Anderson made a nice save with his shoulder. Anderson was really good, especially late in the game. Um, And then there was another chance late where Seth Jones again had sort of pinched in Puck was loose in front of Anderson and Jones just could not get a stick on it, had a stick tied up right in front of the goal mouth there. The Hawks were there. They had their chances. And while blowing a 3-1 lead is really frustrating, and I know no one wants to hear me talk positively about this game tonight, um, but overall, it, it it wasn't bad. I mean, to hold your own and to have a lead against a team as good and as stacked as the Hurricanes is impressive. And look, it's a loss. It's a bad loss because you had a 3 1 lead and couldn't hold on to it. There's no doubt about that. But as we've seen over the last little bit here, the Hawks have been playing a tighter game, a simpler game. They're getting the puck out of the defensive zone with speed, moving the puck fast, passing often instead of looking for that perfect stretch pass every time. They're moving the puck well. They're 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 much cleaner in front of the goal defensively if a shot gets on goal it's very rare that a second chance opportunity is there so they've been tighter around the net want to call your attention to something by the way our buddy Charlie Romeliotis from NBC Sports Chicago did a really nice feature during the second intermission on some of the underlying Hawks numbers so if you DVR'd the game and uh, you have it still go back and watch the second intermission so here's the numbers uh, that Charlie laid out uh, in terms of metrics. Since October 17th, the Blackhawks shooting percentage is 5.13. That's 31st in the league. The team's save percentage is 31st in the league, 878. Bad. That's real bad, in case you didn't know that. Their PDO, and if you don't know what PDO is, it's kind of hard to explain. So we will just say this. A like an, an average PDO, it, it kind of measures your puck luck. So an average PDO would be like around 100, right? That, that would be kind of how it would be measured. Like if you if your PDO is at 100, you're probably about average in terms of puck luck. The Hawks are 32nd in PDO at 29, at 92.9. OK, so what these numbers are telling you in terms of shooting percentage and in terms of PDO is that the Hawks have not had a lot of luck with their shots going in this season. I think Charlie said the worst team last season in shooting percentage was Detroit, and they were like 8%. So for the Hawks to be 5.13%, that shows you how that's really low, and that's not really sustainable, okay? The save percentage thing, 878, that's just not good. That just means the goaltending hasn't been up to par, and we're gonna get to that as well. I promise you that, because I think Marc-Andre Fleury had another... Not so great game, uh, kind of made up for it with a late save uh, on Aho in the third on a Kuba League turnover, but I really didn't like that Nikas goal. He's got to stop that one. All right, more numbers here. So again, this is since October 17th. The Blackhawks are second in the league in allowing high danger chances against. I mean that in a good way. They allow 7.96 high danger chances against per game. That's good for second place in the league. They're scoring chances for 30.14. This is all per 60 minutes, okay? They're seventh in the league. High danger chances for per 60. They're 11.66. That's 10th in the league. Power play. The Hawks scoring chances for on the power play. They have 71. That's first place in the NHL. High danger chances for 29. That's first in the NHL expected goals for that's 10.04 first in the NHL actual goals for 10 they are second in the NHL so as we look at some of these numbers what we're learning is the Hawks have been unlucky offensively the power play has been good and that's kind of what's been keeping them in games has been the power play but lately you're seeing the five on five stuff kind of get a little bit better top 10, even in some of those categories. And they're just not getting the rewards. They're not getting the luck. These things tend to even out, right? Over the course of 82 games, there's going to be some games where you have some luck and where, you, and where you don't. Now, to be clear, I'm not trying to blow smoke and make you feel better about the, this team. The reality is what the reality is. And James and I, before the season started, discussed how important Every game was going to be because you are in a really good division. St. Louis, Winnipeg, Minnesota all have 12 points. Nashville has 10, Colorado, eight, Dallas, eight. The Hawks have four and the Oh nine and one Arizona coyotes have one point. One point. They have scored 13 goals in 10 games. That's almost difficult to do. But the reality is, like I said, the Hawks record is 1-8-2. and two. That's, the record is what it is. I don't, you know, the luck, all the things that lead to it, great. They're 1-8-2. and two. And when you have a 3-1 lead, regardless of who the opponent is, giving up that breakaway to goal to make a 3-2 is bad enough, but then you come out to start the third. Jake McCabe tries to make a diagonal cross-ice pass. Slavin is right there, intercepts it, Svechnikov, Foss, and they score. Game's tied. And then you've got a team like Carolina, one of the best in the league, like I said. And they quickly take the lead. And look, the Hawks did everything they could. You know, of those eight power play minutes, six of them were very, very solid and put a ton of pressure on Carolina. They just weren't able to put the puck in the net. But... It's a bad loss, nonetheless, and it's frustrating. And, and I, I said I was going to get to Marc-Andre Fleury, and I'm going to. And I think Marc-Andre Fleury is going to be better. I don't think there's much question about it because he just has not been good. There have been the last few games, his last two starts, he's been really, really solid. But for, for the majority of the season, I would say most of his starts, you can say there was at least one goal where you were like, eh. maybe it was him leaving the net to play the puck maybe it was him mishandling or whatever but there's been one goal every game where you're kind of like and that Nikas goal was one he absolutely should have had and I'm sure if I'm sure he'll be talked to one way or another uh, he will admit as much Um, but look I'm not overly concerned with Marc-Andre Fleury I think that he's going to be fine it's just um you know, you expected more and you expected him to be part of the reason the Hawks would get off to a better start because you said, hey, look, you brought in the league's best goalie. He just won the Vezina. Uh, that's going to improve their situation and goal. You've added a lot of talent here in the offseason and Seth Jones and Jake McCabe. And I think McCabe is really trying to sort of find himself on this team. Uh, I think Seth Jones has been really, really good. And I know that the narrative around him is that he sucks and he's not worth the money and yada, yada, yada because of everything written about him in the offseason. But again, I encourage you to watch him closely. In the third period, especially on those power plays, there were so many plays he kept alive at the point from knowing where to be, from having the hand-eye coordination, moving the puck on a dime. He had to react to some really bad passes and did well with them most of the time. I like what Seth Jones has brought to this team. So, you know, I know that, again, you read all the negative press about him this summer. The money is huge. All those things are what they are. He's here for a long time. But watch the guy play. He is an asset. He's a number one defenseman. He's playing like it. Uh, Nine assists now in the Blackhawks' 11 games. I think that makes him the second leading scorer on the team behind Patrick Kane. He's kind of doing everything he can do. And it would have been really nice to see him score that goal in the third when he had that opportunity in the front. But uh, it was a mad scramble and a stick got on his and he wasn't able to convert. But I've been really pleased with him. So, you know, where do we go from here? You know, when you look at the lineup, Dylan Strom, a healthy scratch. And (laughs) I think this is kind of going to be how things go um, with Jeremy Cowden because Cowden does not seem to like Dylan Strom. Jujar Kara played tonight, okay? Reese Johnson played tonight, four minutes. Four minutes of Reese Johnson. Why? Mackenzie Entwistle played seven minutes. Mike Hardman played seven minutes. Jeremy Collins not worth, not, not willing to take one of those guys out to play Dylan Strom for a team that is struggling offensively. And, and Mark Lazarus put it really well on Twitter, and I'm going to look up the tweet here, so I don't, I don't want to misquote it, but he's right on it. Here's the tweet. It says, a play and five acts. Dylan Strom sits out a bunch of games. Dylan Strom finally gets in, plays well, creates chances. Dylan Strom gets demoted to fourth line with grinder types. Dylan Strom doesn't play well, an ill-fitting role. Dylan Strom gets scratched. That's it. That's it. He goes on to say, I get wanting some physical grinder types in the lineup, but putting Kara and Carpenter and Reese Johnson and Hardman and Entwistle over Strome for a team that's fourth worst in the league in goals per game, man, that's a choice. That That's it right there. And if they're protecting Dylan Strome to make a trade, make the trade. Do it. There's no reason not to. There's no reason I like Carpenter Carpenter should play every game. I think Kara has been okay too, but there's no reason to have Johnson and Hardman and Entwistle in the lineup on the same night if injuries are not a concern. And guess what? You're having trouble scoring. You've got Lucas Reichel playing in Rockford. I'm going to say a name maybe you don't want to hear right now, but if you're having trouble scoring goals, how about Alex Nylander? That's all he can do. He's a one dimensional player. But that dimension is offense. How many plugs do you need on a team that struggles to score? That's my question for Jeremy Calton tonight. (laughs) As many more as things go on, it's just frustrating. And I don't think Dylan Strome is the answer to all the things that ail the Blackhawks. But who's going to have a better chance of helping out offensively? Dylan Strome or Reese Johnson or Dylan Strome or Mike Hardman? or Dylan Stone and Mackenzie Entwistle, especially when you look at their ice time. Why is Reese Johnson playing? Four minutes of ice time. Why? To do what? Why even have him? I I just, I don't understand. I don't understand the obsession with Reese Johnson and nothing against the kid, right? Like he plays hard. He does what he's supposed to do when he's out there. He's physical, that's what you want, right? He doesn't hurt you, but man, you've got a first round pedigree and Dylan Strom, a kid who's put up pretty good numbers in his career. He's not the most consistent guy in the world and he disappears for times, but like Colin just can't figure out how to use him and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. You know, earn playing time, all those sort of things. But you know, Dylan Strom has played here. This is his fourth season. First year, 51 points in 58 games. Second year, 38 points in 58 games. Last year, 17 points in 40 games. Injury plagued last season. I just don't know why you look at his body of work compared to the other guys who are playing above him. And look, I don't mind playing some of those guys, but you can't play all of them. It's redundant. And again, to play Reese Johnson for four minutes makes no sense. What does that accomplish? This very much reminds me of when the Blackhawks had Brandon Bollig and Brandon Peary. And Quenville just loved Brandon Bollig because he was physical or whatever. And he liked to drop the gloves. But you had a guy with some offense on the bench. And look, Peary never panned out to be an NHL player. But he's a guy who knew how to put the puck in the net right? He's still bouncing around. He's still playing. It's just, it's one of those things that I'll never understand. And and maybe look, there's stuff that coaches know that we don't. <laughs> I didn't really re- realize the irony of what I was about to say until I said it, but I mean, you know, whatever, you know what I'm saying? There's things that happen behind the scenes. Maybe guys got a bad attitude, whatever, but I don't think that's the case with Dylan Strom. He said everything right. He's, You know, he's not acting pissed when he's not playing. He's just not playing, and he just doesn't really have a place here. And I don't understand. Like, it's not like waiting is going to jack up Dylan Strom's trade value. That's not going to happen. Move the kid, get an asset back, and let's move on. Or play him. Don't just let him sit. When there's not a clearly better option right now. For the Hawks, it's just come on. Like let, let's let's be serious here. It, it's you can't tell me any of those guys that played tonight, with the exception of Ryan Carpenter, who I don't even really categorize as one of those kind of players. Hardman, Entwistle, Johnson. You can't tell me Dylan Strom doesn't have more value than those guys. By the way, looking at the Rockford Icehawks here. Their stats through six games. Their leading scorer, Lucas Reichel. Three goals, two assists for five points. Their second leading scorer, Alex Nylander. Four goals, no assists, four points. Brett Connolly has a goal and three assists. Nicholas Bodan has three assists in five games. Josiah Slavin, two goals, one assist. Jacob Poor two goals, one assist. And Carson Gichowitz. I don't know if I said that right. He's got two points in two games so there's your uh leading scorers for Rockford right now and the guys who have a real shot of playing for the Hawks this year Reichel and Nylander maybe Connolly. they'd have to probably I think they might have to make some cap space to bring him up so I think that's probably unlikely those are your top two forward choices to be called up Reichel and Nylander and they're performing so who knows I just look if you're just gonna not if you're not gonna play Dylan Strom just let him trade him don't just sit them because you can't figure out how to use them. It's very, very frustrating. Welcome back into the Madhouse Chicago Hockey podcast. Jay Zawoski flying solo today. Thanks for tuning in. We greatly appreciate it. Hey, throw us a five star review on uh, Apple Podcast. Send us an email with that screenshot. You'll be entered to win a Madhouse podcast prize pack. Just sent out the prize pack for October. So enter yours for November. You might win. Speaking of things we'd like you to try, we've been telling you about Fry the Coop for, what, a couple years now, probably. Maybe two years, almost three years. Well, they have an awesome collaboration happening with Pipeworks Brewing. New beer coming out, Chicken versus Unicorn. It's a hoppy pale ale. 5.6% alcohol by volume. It's releasing Friday, November 5th, and it's sold only at Fry the Coop location. So you gotta go to Oak Lawn, Elmhurst, West Town, Prospect Heights, or Tinley Park to try it. They're single cans only on this run until they're sold out. They made seven barrels. They're working out the details for a full run in 2022. Everyone at Pipeworks is a Fry the Coop super fan, and Fry the Coop feels the same way about Pipeworks. Both parties are super excited for this and they're calling it the best beer for their hot chicken sandwiches. So again, go to Fry the Coop, frythecoop.com. If you're going to dine in, you get to try that Chicken versus Unicorn Pipeworks Hoppy Pale Ale. You're not going to want to miss that. I guarantee you it will be fantastic. I know exactly where I'm going on Friday, (laughs) going to Fry the Coop to try this stuff. Cannot wait. Absolutely Awesome. Uh, really excited for our friends at Fry the Coop about this. So again, go to their website, frythecoop.com. Check out the locations, check out their menu, and you will be impressed. All right, couple little uh, side news items. Last time James and I spoke, uh, we, I don't want to say we praised, but we acknowledged the fact that Patrick Kane sort of um, corrected his statements regarding the uh, Kyle Beach situation, right? He sort of said, you know what? When I met the media the other day, I I don't think I did it right. I think I I said some things wrong. I took the attention off Kyle and brought it to my personal feelings about Stan, and I shouldn't have done that. Well, today, Jonathan Taves had the opportunity and did the same thing, so I'm going to read you his quote here. He says, I realized that my comments about the whole situation took attention away from what Kyle and what he actually went through, and towards the relationships I mentioned, whether it's Stan, Al, or Joel... That's not really the point here. So, you know, took a moment to acknowledge that he didn't say the right thing. Whether the Blackhawks PR staff got to him, whatever happened, it happened. He uh, acknowledged his sort of uh, lack of empathy in his initial comments. And um, so there you go. There's that. Uh, Bigger news is that Bradley Aldrich's name has been X'd out on the Stanley Cup. It was a request made. It happened. So when they were engraving the lightning's names onto the cup, while they were there, they hammered out the X's on Brad Aldrich's name. So it's still there. It's still there under those X's. And uh, boy, it's just... just such an ugly situation and I know that Kyle Beach's people met with uh, the Blackhawks the other day and uh, they're working towards a settlement Um, nothing has happened yet nothing has come to fruition yet but it seems like at least as of now and things of course can change things are sort of headed in that direction Kevin Sheveldayoff did not leave his job with the Winnipeg Jets he is still employed by the Jets they had a long press conference the other day Uh, let's see Riley Stillman as you know played tonight off the COVID list Borgstrom off the COVID list uh, but a couple others were added to it defenseman Isaac Phillips and forward Tyler Johnson uh, were placed in the COVID protocol so uh, as we know the Hawks are fully vaccinated so as soon as they produce a negative test they should be able to return that's your Blackhawks wrap up for now Thanks so much for tuning in. Greatly appreciate it. Want to thank our sponsors, the Simpson Law Group. Go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107. Don't go off sides. Go top shelf. Call now if you need an injury lawyer. Kent Sinsin is your guy. And of course, the aforementioned Fry the Coop, FryTheCoupe.com, Oaklawn, Oakland, West Town, Prospect Heights, and Tinley Park. Go try the best damn hot chicken you have ever tasted. For my partner James Naveau, who's not here, I'm Jay Zawaski. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. I'm Amira Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.